Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. Today we're going to talk from Revelation chapter 7, and I want you to open your Bible as we continue our dissertations of the book of Revelation. Today we're going to talk about the winds of war. We're going to talk about the seal of God. We're going to talk about 144,000, the great multitude and the reward of the righteous. Revelation chapter 6 we'll start with though, verses 12 to 17 that gives us the context and a text without a context, Sandor is what? It's a pretext, that's right. Mm -hmm. Revelation chapter 6 to give us the context and we'll start at verse 12. Uh, verse 12 of Revelation chapter 6, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. That's the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end of everything. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. And verse 17 is the great question, For the great day of his wrath has come, what does it say? Who is able to stand? Who is able to stand the final test, Steve? Who is able to stand Mikhail, the last great movement in this world? Who is able to stand when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in great power and glory? That's the question. Who is able to stand in that great day when the, when the stars begin to fall? And Revelation chapter 7 is a part of the sixth seal. This is important. Revelation chapter 7 is a part of the sixth seal and it answers the question, who is able to stand? I want to say this to every person sitting here, and we're glad that you're back, Bill. Missed you for two years. Glad that you're back to worship with us today. Uh, listen, this question, who is able to stand, is not a dry academic question. It is not something which is posed by a theologian, but it is a question, Steve, that comes from God himself. Who is able to stand? During earth's last convulsions, when Jesus finally appears, the question is, who is going to stand in that great day? 
Revelation chapter 7 tells you who. Chapter 7 verse 1. Revelation 7 verse 1. After these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or the sea or on any tree. I would like to suggest to you today that we are living during that period of time. This is a picture of the last day. And just before Jesus comes, John in vision sees four angels standing at the four corners of the earth and the angels are holding the four winds so that the winds will not blow and destroy until a certain event takes place, until the servants of God are sealed in their foreheads. In the Holy Scriptures, winds are a symbol of strife. And the four winds represent universal strife that is about to come upon the world. But the Bible says that before the winds of strife are permitted to blow across the surface of the earth and to bring this earth to a close as we understand it, a very important work is going to be done. And God says to the angels, hold back the winds of strife. That's what he says, hold back the winds of strife. I want you to know today that nothing happens in this world internationally or individually without the direct permission of Almighty God. God is the Sovereign Lord and the winds of strife will not be allowed to blow upon the earth or the sea or any tree until God gives the express permission. Jesus Christ our Lord, my friend, on one occasion said, you can't do anything to me, he said, because mine hour hath not yet come. In the life of our Lord Jesus Christ was demonstrated the sovereignty of God and nobody could touch him until God gave express permission. Everything in this world is under the control and the hand of God. Leanne, my daughter, getting cancer was a part of God's plan. Does that strike you as awful? While God does not wish sorrow or cancer or heartache to come to any of us, and he's not the author of those things, God permits those things as a part of his plan. If you can't believe that, you'll never have peace because your life is going to be controlled by just the winds of strife. But the Bible tells me that God has got a plan and a purpose and a time for everything. And God says here, you can't do anything to those angels until I give you the permission. Now read on. And that is why, my friend, all the time in this world we have a, a crisis. We have a crisis in Russia, a crisis in the Middle East, a crisis in Europe and people say is this going to lead to war is this going to be the final crisis and they think there's going to be a nuclear war but it doesn't happen because the work of God hasn't been finished chapter 7 verse 1 and onwards after these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth or the sea or on any tree then I saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living God. 
And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So there you've got it. Nothing happens in this world without the express permission of our God. And the reason we have not had a nuclear war, the reason that this world has not blown itself up is not because of the wisdom of men, it is because of the sovereignty of God. And I want to tell you folks something because this is a strong message today. Unlike some of my messages that I think have been getting a little tame, but today this is a strong message because the Bible tells me and the Bible makes it very, very plain that when God says to, to the angels, let go, this world is going to be involved in the great time of trouble. And the Bible refers to this as the great tribulation before Jesus Christ returns to this planet. This world is going to be involved in a ruin more terrible than that which befell Jerusalem of old when the Spirit of God left that city. But the Bible tells me that those angels will not be loosed to do the work of judgment until every Russian, every American, every person who speaks Spanish or English or Portuguese or French, whatever it is, until the last person has had the opportunity of receiving the seal of the living God. Now I want to talk now a little about the seal of God. This is very important. The Bible says, just before the second coming, before the winds of strife sweep around this world, just before Jesus returns, the servants of our God are going to get the seal of God in their foreheads. And today we ought to notice what is the seal of God. You cannot really understand this passage in Revelation chapter 7 unless you understand Ezekiel chapter 8 because this chapter is based upon Ezekiel 8 and I want you to turn quickly to it. I've got enough material in this sermon my friend to go for a long time so you better look up the text fast. Ezekiel chapter 8 we're going to pack in a lot in 45 minutes we're going to pack in a lot of material. Ezekiel 8 verses 11 to 14 Ezekiel chapter 8, and Revelation 7 is based upon this. Mm -hmm. Looking up that text. The curry you prepared for me was great curry, Michelle. It was good. My being here at church is a testimony to that. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel. And verse 12, and he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? In verse 13, he said to me, turn again, you'll see greater abominations that they do. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house, and to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz, the sun god. Uh, uh, and they did this, incidentally, at the time of, of Ishtar, or Easter as we call it today. And he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, and you'll see greater abominations than these. So he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord, and their faces towards the east, and they were worshipping what? 
worshipping the sun towards the east. And if you come to chapter 9, you'll see what God says, verse 4. And the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the forehead of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. To the others he said in my hearing, Go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare and have no pity. Now, my friend, this is a very strong picture of God's judgment upon his people. Here you have the leaders of the house of God, the elders, the leaders of the church. And when they should have been worshipping the living God, they were a million miles from God, and they were worshipping the sun God. There was the church in a state of apostasy. And God said, go through and put a mark upon those who weep and cry for those abominations. And Revelation 7 is based upon the sealing of the saints. And don't think that because you're an elder in the church, you're going to get to heaven because in Ezekiel, the elders were the ones that led the church to hell. And so in the last days, the great judgments of God, firstly, are unleashed against the leaders of the church. And you and I ought to understand this, so we will not worship the leaders of the church, but so we will worship God and God alone. And one of the greatest problems we have today as Christians, and I'm talking to Adventist Christians, we worship the institutionalized church. And we worship church leaders. I want to tell you, you ought to be very careful, because that is a form of idolatry, and there'll be no idolaters in the kingdom of God. And in the last days, the angels of wrath go and they put a mark, the mark of the beast, upon those who worship the beast, but they place the seal of God upon the foreheads of the saints. Now the question is, what is the seal of God? Listen carefully, because this could be a series of sermons. In the Holy Scriptures... Now this will come as a surprise to some of you, but it is the truth. In the Holy Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, God has had an identifying mark to distinguish the true Israel of God. That identifying mark has been his special sign and his special seal. It contains his name, his title, and his dominion. And if you turn to the book of Ezekiel, you will find what the seal or the sign of God is. Would you please come to Ezekiel 20 and verse, uh, verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 20, please, dear people. Ezekiel chapter 20, and it talks about the seal or the sign or the mark of the living God. Not of the dead God, but of the living God. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12, please, if you don't mind. Now God here is talking to the people of Israel. He says, moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be what? Mm, to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. And if you come to verse 20, God says, hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be, what does it say? A sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. The Bible tells me that the seventh day Sabbath 
is the sign or the seal of the living God. People say it is just an old Jewish institution that was nailed to the cross. My friend, I would not like to criticize the Jews because of the Sabbath. Why should we, why should we disparage the Jewish people? We should not do this. this these remarks are, are racist remarks and we should not say those things. I thank God that the Jewish people for many, many years have been the upholders of the law of God, including the Sabbath. But I want to tell you today, the Sabbath precedes the Jewish people. I want you to think today of the holy seventh-day Sabbath that God gave to his people. When God came down in fiery splendor on Mount Sinai, God gave the Sabbath command which is in the very heart of the law. And God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And he tells us why. He says in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. In the Sabbath commandment, and only the Sabbath commandment, you contain those three things that make up a seal. A person's name, his title, and his dominion. There you have his name, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Lord, and you have his title. He is the creator and his dominion, the heavens and the earth. I want you to think this through today, and perhaps on our television program today, there are some people who are saying, you make too much about that old Sabbath. I want to tell you, my friend, God makes a great deal about it. Let me give you, and you don't need to look up these texts because I'll give them to you fast. In Genesis chapter 2, right in the very glory of the Garden of Eden before sin came in, God gave to the world the Sabbath. The Bible says that God finished his work and God rested on the seventh day and God blessed the seventh day and God made it a holy day. And that is, my friend, long before the Jews... The Sabbath was given to the first man because the Sabbath was given to the last man and all men in between. And then when God is calling a people out of Egypt and calling them to become his own people, God gives them again the Sabbath which they had lost in the bitterness of their bondage. And you can read this in Exodus 16 before the law was given on Mount Sinai. God gave them the manna and there was no manna given on the Sabbath day. Then when you come over to the time of the, of the captivity and the children of Israel went into bitter bondage because of their breaking of the law of God, you can read in Ezekiel chapter 17, uh, Jeremiah 17, how the Sabbath was given to the people of God and God said the city of Jerusalem would last forever if people kept the Sabbath. And then when you come through to the time of the restoration after the captivity, to Nehemiah chapter 13, you'll find where God tells the people to keep the Sabbath. Now listen, my friend, those of you who call yourselves New Covenant Christians, and I'm a New Covenant Christian, did you know this, that in the New Testament, one chapter out of every ten chapters in the Gospels revolves around the Sabbath. Did you know that? One chapter out of every ten chapters in the Gospels talks about Jesus defending the Sabbath. 
Jesus Christ, my blessed Lord, who saves me by his grace, risked his life to show the importance of the Sabbath. He never did that for circumcision. He never did that for the ceremonial law, but he did it for the Sabbath. Why is the Sabbath so important? Because the Sabbath stands for loyalty to God. That's why. We live today in a crazy, mixed-up world. Why, why is there so much illegitimacy that we talked about before? Why is the American family on the rocks? Why is this nation in a time of crisis? Because we have forgotten that we are the children of God. God made us. We've taught in our universities that we are children of the slime. We've taught our children the doctrine of evolution. And so it is believed by millions of people that we are descended from the beasts. I do not believe that I am a cousin to an animal. I believe that I'm a son of God, a child of God. I believe that I am distinct and glorious. I believe that I have a father and my father is God, you see. And if people would return to the keeping of the Sabbath because they love God, we would have a solution to the problems that are facing this great nation. I want you to know this, my friend. And when you come to the last book of the Bible, the last, the last book, the book of Revelation, and you come to the last great crisis, listen to me, my friend. The last great crisis in this world is over whether men will worship the, the creature or whether they will worship the Creator. And the mark of the beast represents allegiance to earthly churches and earthly powers. But the seal of God stands for allegiance to Jesus. The seal of God stands for allegiance to Christ. And the outward form of the seal of God is the keeping of the Holy Sabbath day. And so don't say the Sabbath's not important, brother. The Sabbath is important because Jesus said it was important. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man. That means every one of us. And he said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And so I believe in the Sabbath. I believe it is the seal of the living God. One man said, God has given us 52 spring days a year. 52 spring days a year, sweet memorials of Eden for a toiling world. I want to say this to you, my brother. You listen to me, please. If you're the sort of Christian who goes to church when you feel like it and you follow your emotions, you're not going to get the seal of God. You're going to get the mark of the beast. If you're the sort of person who keeps the Sabbath, when it's convenient to keep the Sabbath, you are not preparing to receive the seal of God. You're preparing to receive the mark of the beast. One great theologian who is a friend of mine said this, Faith without works is dead, and profession of religion without conscientious observance of all the requirements of God is a counterfeit. Man alive. Did you hear that? Let me say it to you again. Faith without works is dead and profession of religion without conscientious observance of all the requirements of God is a counterfeit. I do not believe in this mamby-pamby religion of Southern California and Sydney too. 
Mm -hmm. That got me out of it, didn't it? Mm -hmm. I don't believe in this sort of religion where people go to church to be entertained. I believe that people ought to go to church to get to heaven. And if it means that it's going to cause us to repent of our sins and to cry out and say, God have mercy upon me, then may church be that to me. You see. And so the Bible says in the last days, the seal of God that represents loyalty to the creator God and love for Jesus is going to be placed in the foreheads of God's people and then all hell is going to rip around the world. Now we're going to talk about the 144,000. Revelation chapter 7, verses 4 to 8. I want to be numbered with the 144,000. I want to tell you that, my friend. Revelation chapter 7, and verses 4 to 8. Follow carefully in your Bible. Revelation 7. So Revelation 7 verses 1 and 3 talks about the sealing of the saints. It talks about the Holy Sabbath day. It answers the question, who is able to stand in the last day? Verse 4, and I heard the number of those who were sealed. These people are loved Jesus, who worship the great creator God and who keep his commandments. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. And so there you have it in the Bible, the sealing of the 144,000. The Bible tells me every one of these people who receives the seal of God, doctor, is an Israelite. And so some commentators who have missed the point by about three million light years have said this means that the people who are going to be sealed, yeah, those people are going to be Sabbath keepers, those people are going to pass through the great tribulation, they're all going to be literal Jews. And that's where they miss it, sister. That's where they miss it. Because in Holy Scripture, you're listening now? In the New Testament, under the New Covenant, you're listening because this is important, as far as God is concerned, an Israelite is a person who is trusting in Jesus and who is saved by grace. You see, an Israelite is not a person, my friend, who is an Israelite by circumcision or by nationhood, under the new covenant, God has worked a miracle and an Israelite is a person, whether he is a literal descendant of Abraham or a literal descendant of the Gentiles. Doesn't matter who they are, but a person is considered to be an Israelite who is trusting in Jesus and who is a child of faith. Amen. Hear this? Now, I want to give you some texts on this because... 
Yeah, keeping the commandments of God because he loves Jesus and because he's saved by grace, not because he's keeping the commandments because he thinks he'll be saved by keeping them. Okay, you and I agree, don't we? Okay, now I want you to come over now and we're going to notice about the children of Israel. I want you to come to Romans 9, verse 7 and 8. You folks having a good time in church? Mm-hmm. Good to come to church and have a good time. Good to have a good time studying the Word and getting, getting ready for the coming of Jesus. Revelation, Romans chapter 9 and verses 7 and 8. You finding that there, Susan? Yes, Michelle, need a little hand to find the text? Mm-hmm. Revelation chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. Now notice this, my friend. If you are a nationalist, look at this text. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called, verse 9. Now would you please say it loud with me. Come on, this will be good for you. Keep you awake too. That is, come on together, verse 8. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And so, who is counted for the seed? Yeah, but the children, it didn't say the children of God there. It said the children of, come on, the promise. And what does it say? They are something. They are counted for the seed. Now, here is some good news for you. Whether today you're a black person or a white person or a yellow person or a red person, whether you speak English, or Spanish, or Portuguese, or French, or Hebrew, or Arabic, whatever you are today, nationally, doesn't make any difference if you are in Jesus. God says, I count you as an Israelite, as a child of God. You want to know who the 144,000 are? The 144,000 are God's people who pass through the great tribulation. They go through the time of trouble and they love Jesus and they're saved by grace and they keep the commandments of God and they worship the Creator God and they keep the Lord's Day, the Holy Sabbath. And they're trusting not in their own works but they're trusting in Jesus Christ alone. I want you to come over now to Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, read this out loud with me. Uh, you ready? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then, come on, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. My friend, how any person could misunderstand that. The Bible says, if you belong to Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed. And that makes you what? It makes you an Israelite. Makes you a spiritual Jew. Yeah. And so, if a literal Jew is trusting in Jesus for salvation, then he's an Israelite. If a black person is trusting in Jesus, he's an Israelite. 
If an Australian is trusting in Jesus, he's an Israelite. And the Bible says in the last days, John hears the number of those that are sealed, and they're sealed a hundred and forty-four thousand. Why are they sealed? They are sealed for protection and preservation. These people are going to go through hell. You take this idea that a rapture takes place and the church is taken home to glory and escapes the great tribulation. My friend, that's not taught in the Bible. That's a doctrine I say with courtesy that isn't found in the Bible. I know many Christians believe it, better Christians than I are, than, I, than we are, than I am and we are. <laughs> but I want to tell you folks something. I can't find the doctrine in the Bible because the Bible says, here you've got God's people, his Israelites, his people saved by grace, and they're sealed. God is going to seal his people for their eternal preservation and their eternal protection, and those people will not be hurt by the seven last plagues. Now let me tell you a little bit about Israel now, a little more. Israel is a great word. Let me tell you what it means. Well, to understand what Israel means, I've got to tell you a story. You know the story that is recorded in the book of, of Genesis, chapter 32, about Jacob? You know what the word Jacob means? Hmm? Yes, Steve. A deceiver, a supplanter, a cheat, a crook. Hmm. And so here you've got Jacob. He steals his brother's birthright. He's got to run away from home. And then the day comes many years later. He's coming home. And who comes to meet him? Esau. And Esau is hopping mad. He's got a reason to be mad because this man who claims to be a child of God is a deceiver. And when he's coming to meet his brother... Jacob is filled with fear. And so he goes out one night, I think it's beside the, the brook, and he gets down on his knees and he says, God, I'm a cheat. I've been a liar. I haven't been what I should have been or could have been or would have been. And he gets down on his knees and he prays. And as he's praying, all of a sudden, somebody grabs hold of him and he thinks... It's an enemy, maybe sent by Esau. And he struggles with that person, and he struggles until daybreak. And at daybreak, the person who is much stronger than he is says, Let me go because the day breaketh. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Do you know with whom he was struggling? He was struggling with our Lord Jesus Christ, the angel of the covenant. He says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the Lord says, what is your name? And he says, like a man saying, liar. He says, Jacob. And the Lord says, I'm going to change your name from Jacob and from henceforth I'm going to call you Israel. And Israel means a prince of God, an overcomer. Mm. and he says what is your name and the angel of his covenant says what is that to you 
and he touches his thigh and his thigh goes out. And the Bible has one of the most beautiful verses in Genesis chapter, 30, chapter 32. You don't need to look it up. But it says, after he'd wrestled with God and after he had won the battle with God, after he had prevailed not against men but against God, after his name was changed and the past was blotted out, the Bible says he went limping down the road, and as he went limping down the road, the Bible uses the words, it says, the sun rose on him. The sun looked down upon him and said, you are blessed, you are Israel, an overcomer, a prince of God. You know today by the blood of Jesus, Russ, I'm a prince of God. I'm not just a child of God, my friend, I'm a prince of God. You know that? Rose, you're a princess of God. Steve, you're a prince of God. Susie, you're a princess of God because we have met him and we have struggled with him and he has embraced us and he has delivered us. And here you have a hundred, the 144,000 who've struggled with God. And by the grace of God, they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and they are victors over sin and the beast and the mark of the beast and over conformity to the teachings of men. Let me say this. I say this on 3ABN. I said it on Thursday night. I'm afraid for many of my fellow Adventists because I know they're trusting in the church instead of trusting in Jesus. They're trusting in the institution the trusting in the denominational structure, I want to tell you they need to be converted and born again. Because the only way that you and I are going to win through into the kingdom of God is because we're trusting in Christ. And these people who trust in Christ, who are sealed with the seal of God, are overcome and saved by grace. This verse concerns the last generation who pass through the great tribulation. Now people ask me this question, and this is a very important question. Now I want to solve some problems for you. Does this mean only 144,000 are going to be saved out of the last generation? I want to tell you my convictions on this. The book of Revelation is a book of symbols. Israel is a symbolic number. The seal is a symbolic seal. The mark of the beast is symbolic. The winds of strife are symbolic. The whole book of Revelation is symbolic. The pregnant woman in Revelation 12 is symbolic. The lamb whose blood is shed is a symbolic lamb. And the number, 144,000, is also symbolic. Twelve is the number of the kingdom of God. The twelve apostles, the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve foundations in the stones of the New Jerusalem, the twelve great gates of pearl. Twelve represents the number of God's kingdom. And 144, of course, is twelve squared. And the thousand represents a great number. The 144,000 is a term that is used in the Bible to represent the people of God who will live through until Jesus comes and who will be a part of his kingdom. But I want you to know, there's room for you. There's room for you among the 144,000 bless you. 
would you please now come to Revelation chapter a little further. Come a little further. Revelation 14 verses 1 to 5. Revelation chapter 14 verses 1 to 5. And I want you to notice how God describes these people. Revelation 14 and verses 1 to 5, and I like to take it out of the book, don't you? Revelation 14 verses 1 to 5. Those who say it's a literal number are confounding all of Scripture. Revelation chapter 14 verses 1 to 5. Revelation 14 verses 1 to 5. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, with him 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. What does that mean, the father's name? That means the character of God, his love, his mercy, and his grace written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters. Oh, I love that. The voice of many waters. And like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists harping or playing their harps. And they sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Those who would try to literalize this are going to have a problem here. Because the Bible says that the 144,000 are virgins, and they have not defiled themselves with women. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. They live until Jesus comes. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Listen carefully. What does it mean when it says they're virgins? The Bible says they haven't defiled themselves with women. We should no longer, we should no more take these verses literally than we take the verses literally that talk about the seal or the mark or the lamb are the beasts with the many heads and full of eyes. This is talking about spiritual fornication. The Bible says that if a person professes to be a child of God and lives like the world and partakes of the spirit of the world, he is a fornicator and an adulterer. The Bible says that the 144,000 are not spiritual fornicators and they have not allowed the world around them to conform them to its own image. The Bible says these people are different people because they are nonconformists. Now listen to me. I find it a mystery that so many people when they become members of the organized church, become conformists. Whatever they're told to do, they do. If they are told by some ecclesiastical authority, religious authorities are only safe to follow as they follow God. 
and obey his word. Otherwise, it is your duty to say, not on your life, sir, I will do what God says. And these people here are nonconformists because they refuse to sleep with the harlot and the world. And the Bible says about them, these are God's people who are delivered through the time of trouble. The Bible says, in their mouth was found no guile. Did you know, Steve, that the Greek says, in their mouth was no deceit, no lie, no deceit, no lie. There's a book that came out a couple of years ago that I've read through. It's called The Day America Told the Truth. Every person here ought to get it. We ought to get it. It's, it's the most comprehensive study into the morals of a nation ever done in the history of mankind. The Day America Told the Truth. It reveals, and this is scientifically researched, it reveals that 91% of us in this part of the world habitually lie. 91% of us habitually lie. Can I say this to you? A person who lies will be lost unless that person like Jacob becomes a child of God. Today, it is common for people to say, I will do so and so, and to break their word. They need to become an Israelite. Stop being like Jacob. This is a strong word for every person here to know. The Bible says that outside the city of God are all liars. Why do we need so many lawyers? Why is it that in this part of the world we have 60 times more lawyers per population than they have in Britain and also in Japan? Why are we a nation of lawyers and attorneys? It is because we are a nation of liars. What a terrible indictment upon us. The Bible says concerning the 144,000, in their mouth is found no lie. I can think of an old friend of mine, Keith Johansson, whom you know, from Warburton, Victoria. God bless him forever. Keith told me this. Keith is now, should be retired, but he just keeps on working. He said, all through my life, and he has been blessed by God, he said, I don't need to use attorneys when I do business deals. I do it on the shake of a hand. He said, when I do business, when I say I will do it, I will die rather than break my word. The Bible says, who will ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Or as the Hebrew says, he that swears to his own hurt. I know this is a very sensitive subject to talk about. When I make a pledge to God... I must keep it by the grace of God. Unless I'm absolutely inadequate to do so. 
But there is an old saying that I wish to stick by. A man is as good as his word. A liar, my friend, is a deceiver, and a liar is unstable as water, and he shall not excel. When I tell you something, you ought to be able to say, Pastor Carter has said it, I can believe it. When you tell me something, I ought to be able to say, yes, I can believe him because he has said it. And God's people will never, never lie. They will die rather than stoop to being liars. Satan is called the father of all liars. The 144,000 do not sleep with the world, and in their mouth is found no guile, for they are without fault. They're covered by the blood of Jesus, and when God looks upon them, he sees them as without fault before the throne of God. And these are the people, my friend, who passed through the great tribulation. Now come to the great multitude. Revelation 7, 9 to 14. The Revelation chapter 7 and verses 9 and onwards. Notice this. I want you to notice this. And uh, concentrate on the text, please. After these things, firstly he hears the 144,000. He doesn't see them. Verse 9, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to him our God forever and ever. Amen. So here you've got a great multitude out of every nation. I'm going to tell you something now and I'm not going to be dogmatic about it but this is my belief but I want you to think about it. Verse 13, one of the elders answered saying, who are these arrayed in white robes and where do they come from? He's referring here to the great multitude. So I, and I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the one who came out of what? The great tribulation. And washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Many commentators say the 144,000 and the great multitude are two different groups. I believe that it's the one company. And I'll tell you why. Who comes out of the great tribulation? Who gets the seal of God? Who goes through the great tribulation? 144,000. Is that true? And, and here you've got a great multitude and no person could number them, sister. And, and the angel says, who are these people? This great multitude that no one can number. And what's the answer? They're the people who came out of the great tribulation. They're the saints who go through the time of trouble. The saints are not delivered, my friend, be, uh, before the great tribulation, but the saints of God, like the three Hebrew worthies who were cast into the burning fiery furnace, are delivered from the fire, and they go through the fire. I believe... Now listen to this good news. I know some people have thought in the last days 
Bless your heart, if we can get 144,000, literally, isn't that going to be great? Come on, your God is too small. God is going to save in these last days from Russia and America and Australia and India and God bless China. God is going to save a multitude whom no person can number. They're going to be there praising God. They're going to be there by the millions and the millions and the millions and the millions. And I believe they are the 144,000. Because it's the same description. Who are these who came? Who are these people? Who is this great multitude? Well, the Bible says those who came out of the great tribulation. And that, my friend, is a hundred. And 44,000. Now listen to me as I read these last verses. Would you please look at verses 13 and onwards. Revelation chapter 7. Verse 13 and onwards. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? This is the great multitude. So I said, Sir, you know... So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. Well, that's the 144,000. They came out of the great tribulation. They get the seal of God. Washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's how you get saved, my friend. You don't get saved by keeping the law. You get saved by being washed in the blood of the Lamb. But I want you to know this, my brother. When a person is washed in the blood of the Lamb, then he keeps the holy law of God including the Holy Sabbath. And then he is an Israelite. Isn't that true? He's an Israelite under the blood of the Lamb. Glory be to God. Now their eternal resting place. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore. Why? Because they've gone through the time of trouble. They're not going to be hungry anymore nor thirst anymore. Why are they not going to thirst anymore? Because they've gone through the time of trouble when they got thirsty. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Why not? Because they lived on the earth when the sun was given power to strike men. As you read in Revelation 16. So these are the people who go through the time of trouble. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. They're not going to get thirsty any, anymore, Steve. They're not going to be hungry anymore. They're not going to be weeping anymore. They're not going to go through a time of trouble anymore because they're saved for eternity. Amen. This is the great multitude, the 144,000. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I say, glory be to God. And I say to you today, let us pray that you and I will be numbered with the great multitude, with the 144,000. And I want you now to repeat after me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'd like you all to get on your knees reverently. And I want you to repeat these words after me. I want you to notice these great words. Well, not great words but words about a great God. And I'd like you please, if you want to be numbered with the 144,000 or the great multitude, 
I'll read this through firstly, and then I'm going to get you to repeat it after me, dear people. Don't, don't, don't repeat it now, but you'll repeat it in a moment. Dear Father and Creator God, I desire today to be numbered with the great multitude. Please wash me now in the blood of the Lamb and change my name from Jacob to Israel. By your grace, make me an overcomer, a prince, a princess. Because of your presence in my life, may I reflect your character. I look forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you please to make this your prayer. If you want to be numbered with 144,000, if you want to be an Israelite and be found before God without any guile in your mouth, if you want to be washed in the blood of the Lamb and have the seal of God in your foreheads, if you want to be a worshiper of the great Creator God and to be redeemed eternally, please repeat these words. Dear Father and Creator God, I desire today to be numbered with the great multitude. Please wash me now in the blood of the Lamb and change my name from Jacob to Israel. By your grace, make me an overcomer, a prince, a princess. Because of your presence in my life, may I reflect your character. I look forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.